Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Here's what we need to remember today. That authority that Jesus spoke with and demonstrated that astonished his hearers is with us today. Jesus has that same authority today. Nothing has changed with him. The problem today is that people aren't looking to him or are not listening to him. And you know, the reality is most people have no idea what Jesus said or did. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his series with his teaching on Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 34, in a message titled, The Authority of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, as we pick up the story here, as we saw, Jesus has called these men to now join him in fishing for men. Remember I pointed out that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they pick up the the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, but these guys had already been with the Lord for a year. And so now he's calling them, as we saw previously, he's calling them away from their profession as fishermen, and he's calling them to join him in fishing for men. And and all of this is taking place there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is really, we would think of the Sea of Galilee more as a lake. Now, it's actually referred to in scripture as the Lake of Gennesaret. That's another name for it. But the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide and presently is about 13 miles in length. It used to be a little bit bigger in ancient times, but you know, it's not that large of a body of water, but that's the area where the public ministry of Jesus took place, much of it. And that, that's the area where Jesus actually would base himself, and he would do that in this the city or the town of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, you can go if you ever go to Israel with us. You can go to Capernaum today. It's, there's, no, there's not a modern city there, but there are the ruins of the ancient city there. And even today, you can go to the synagogue in Capernaum. It's not the same one that Jesus was in, but the one that's there today is about, I think, a fourth century synagogue that is literally built on top of the previous synagogue, the one that Jesus would have been in on this particular day. But it's, it's really interesting that Jesus chose this region to set up his operation. And, and what you realize when you go to Israel today and you kind of see the topography and, and you realize the ancient demographics that although the western side of the sea was predominantly Jewish and very religious. The eastern side of the sea was very much Gentile. And on the eastern side of the sea, we'll come across this as we go through this gospel, there's a reference to the cities of the Decapolis. Decapolis, that means 10 cities. There were 10 cities on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee that were Greek cities and eventually became Roman cities. 
and they were filled with all of the things that you would find in a Greek or a Roman city. They were filled with idolatrous temples. They were filled with houses of prostitution. Uh, they were just filled with all of the evil things that would have permeated the Greco-Roman culture at that time. And yet this is the region that Jesus chooses as his base of operation. But that was a fulfillment of a prophecy. Because back in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 2, it said this. By way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. So by, by the time the prophecy was, be, would be fulfilled, it would be referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And so Jesus comes and he sets up his base in this place that is a very dark place spiritually. In a sense, it's kind of like Jesus sets up his base of operation in the headquarters of Satan. So it's like the devil's got his base of operation here. Jesus says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move right in here and I'm going to set up. And that in and of itself is a reminder to us, to the church and to Christian individual people, that God has called us to penetrate the darkness. God has called us to, to go into those dark places with the light of the gospel, not to shy away from them. You know, there are a lot of people who would look at certain places and say, man, I don't want to go there. Well, we can never go there with the gospel because, man, that place is so evil. Well, guess what? That's what the gospel is for. It's to go to places like that and to bring the light. So Jesus sets us an example, really, by setting up his base of operation right there in that particular place. Now, the emphasis that we're going to look at here today in the verses that we read is on the authority of Jesus. So that, that's the emphasis that Mark places right here, that Jesus, both in word and deed, he had an authority that had never been heard or seen before. And Mark refers to the people in response to Jesus, both to his teaching and to his power over the demons and over sickness. He says that the people were astonished, is one word he used. And then he says that they were amazed. So to put it in our terminology today, we could translate it. And the people, their minds were blown when they heard what Jesus taught. He taught them like nobody had ever taught them before. They were, a British term is gobsmacked. They were just, you know, completely astounded at what Jesus said and did. And, and that's what we want to do today. We want to look at those things that Jesus said and did, and we want to look at the authority of Jesus that, that he displayed then that is the authority that he still exercises today. But on our way there, let's just pick up in verse 21. There's just a few things I want to give us some background on. So it says, and they went into Capernaum. We mentioned that it's just town on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. Now, I'm not going to assume that everybody knows what a synagogue is. You can find synagogues today. You can find synagogues in the area. Sometimes they're called temples. These are places of Jewish worship, and 
at the time of Jesus, the synagogue was the local place where Jewish people would come to have the scriptures read, to have an ex an exposition of the scriptures. It was it was also more or less a community center. The the word synagogue is a Greek word. The Hebrew equivalent is Knesset. So if you know anything about the modern state of Israel, you know that their uh, capital building is called the Knesset. So it, it was a place, the synagogue to them, the Bet Knesset. It was the place where you gathered as a community, but it was also the center for the local place of scripture, reading, explanation, and meditation. Uh, of course, the main center of worship was the temple in Jerusalem, but the temple was in Jerusalem, and so it was not easily accessed if you lived outside of Jerusalem. So the synagogue originated during the Babylonian captivity, and then it continued on through the time of Christ, and actually, like I said, all the way down to this very day. You can find synagogues all over our community here, all over Orange County. So it was there in the synagogue on the Sabbath that Jesus went in and he began to teach them. And so they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus taught them. And, and here there's a contrast that Mark gives us between the teaching of Jesus and the scribes. So Jesus taught them with an authority that was unlike anything that they had heard before. Um, the word authority, the English word authority, you know, think about this word. The word author is part of the word authority. And the word author means source. And it was Tim Keller who said that, you know, take, playing off that word authority and author, he said when Jesus spoke to them, they sensed from him that he was the author of life, that he spoke in a way that nobody spoke, that he actually knew what he was saying. And they could put absolute confidence in his word. But notice the contrast here is that he taught them as one with authority and not as the scribes. So the scribes were the ones who would do the, the synagogue services. They were rabbis. They were called rabbis, teachers, some of them. They were, some of them were Pharisees. Some of them were priests. But they would be the ones who would read through the scriptures and they would try to give an, you know, an exposition to some extent. But what the scribes would do is their authority was derived from the other more prominent teachers among them. So you go into a synagogue and they're going to read a passage of scripture and then they're going to tell you what 10 other teachers said about it and they're going to just leave it at that. So there, there wasn't anybody that spoke with the kind of authority that, the, you know, this is what I'm saying and this is what it means. So Jesus is so much different in that regard. Now, even the prophets who, of course, did speak God's word. Remember, if you go back into the prophets here in your Bible, here's what you're going to find the prophets always saying. They're going to say, thus says the Lord. And then they speak. And yes, they, they are God's mouthpiece. They're speaking for God. But they're obviously not speaking, in a sense, with their own authority. They're speaking with God's authority. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. Jesus never says, thus says the Lord. Never says it. 
What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I say to you. You see, Jesus is the Lord. So he doesn't need to say, thus says the Lord. He, instead, he says, I say to you. So this is the kind of teaching that Jesus brought to them. And this is what astounded them. This is what amazed them. It's like, man, he's speaking to us like, like he's the Lord. Yes, that's exactly the point. He is the Lord. And that's why he's speaking in that way. So we see that Jesus spoke. He taught with authority. But we see also that Jesus exercised authority over evil spirits. Jesus exercised authority over Satan. And so it goes on. There was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. So an unclean spirit, sometimes it's translated an impure spirit. Sometimes it's translated an evil spirit. You know, during the time of Jesus, all hell broke loose, literally. And it's like, man, the demons came out of the woodwork. Now, what are demons? We're, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about demons today because there's plenty of more references to demons as we go through Mark. We'll really talk about it in detail when we get to the fifth chapter uh, where we see there a severely demon-possessed man. But demons are evil spirits. They're fallen angels, basically. They're obviously invisible. But they have wrecked havoc on humanity from the very beginning, and they do so today. But when Jesus came, it was like all of these demonic hordes, it was like they all said, okay, let's go. We got to team up. We got to stop this guy. And so that's why as you read through the gospels, Jesus encounters demon-possessed people all throughout his ministry because they have, like I said, they've, they've literally come out of the woodwork to oppose what he is doing, but he has authority over them. Now, in those days, the Jewish people and their leaders, they could exercise an element of authority over demons. Jesus acknowledged that he said to the leaders at one point who were accusing him of casting out demons by the power of demons, he said, then by whose authority do your children cast out demons? And so Jesus acknowledged that they casted out demons even then at the time, but what they did is they went through this, they had to go through this ritual. They had to go through this long, lengthy, drawn out process of trying to exercise the demon from the person. But the difference with Jesus was he just spoke a word. He basically just said to the demon, shut up and get out. And the demon responded immediately. So this is what blew their minds because they'd never seen anything like that. If they did see an exorcism, like I said, it was this lengthy, long, drawn-out process that you know seemed to did it, did it work or didn't it work? But with Jesus, it worked instantly, and so he exercised authority over demons. And also, we see as we read on in the, just the remainder of the verses here that he exercised authority over sickness and disease. And so, verse twenty-nine: as soon as they had come out of the synagogue. They entered the house of Simon. Simon is another name for Peter. And notice verse 30, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. So the mother-in-law of Peter is sick with a fever. Jesus just simply touches her, heals her, and she gets up immediately and begins to serve. So again, this was extraordinary. Nothing like this had ever been heard or seen by the people. And so this is what was astonishing to them. But here's what we need to remember today. That 
That authority that Jesus spoke with and demonstrated that astonished his hearers is with us today. Jesus has that that same authority today. Nothing has changed with him. The problem today is that people aren't looking to him or are not listening to him. And you know, the, the reality is most people have no idea what Jesus said or did. Let's not assume, because it's a false assumption, let's not assume that people know any of this stuff. People don't. People in churches don't even know what Jesus said, let alone people out on the street. So we have to remember that these authoritative words that Jesus spoke were not just for that generation, but they are still words that are living and powerful today. The problem is most people don't know what Jesus said, and so we want to tell them as, you know, as often as the opportunity comes. But we live, as you know, in a world of conflicting opinions regarding just about everything under the sun. You know, it's like we live in a, a culture presently, especially, that is just in a continuous debate about everything. And granted, much of it is trivial and it's unworthy of most of the attention that's been given to it, but there still are a few questions out there that are of vital importance. And what we need to know is that Jesus is the one who actually answers those questions. Questions like, how did I get here? You know, I I had this question as a teenager. In the back of my mind, I wondered, like, you know, where did I come from? I mean, obviously, I knew where I came from in one sense, right? I came from my mother's womb. But, but I knew, even then, there was something beyond that. Where, where did I come from? Or another question is, what is the meaning and purpose of life? Or, you know, simply, what am I doing here? Um, what is in store for the future? These are the big questions that still are haunting people, and people haven't received a satisfactory answer for them. But listen, Jesus has the answer. And if you're here today with those questions, I want to tell you right now, Jesus has the answer, and you're going to hear it in just a moment. But we need to remember this as well ourselves. Those of us that have received these answers, we need to remember that people all around us have these questions, and Jesus is the one who has the answer, and he still speaks to this day with this astounding authority. And so we're going to just walk through these questions and just look at the answer that Jesus gave, remembering that the answer that he gave then is the answer still today. So question number one, how did I get here? Uh, Where did we come from? This, This is a huge question. It's the question of origins. Are we here by accident or are we here intentionally? Did we just come about through natural processes or was there a a supernatural power that, that brought us into existence? Well, Jesus said that we are a result of God's creative power. In this gospel, Mark chapter 10, and I've, I've purposely put the boundaries here on Mark's gospel, rather than referring to Matthew, Luke, or John. I just, all my references are going to be in Mark today. But Jesus said this in Mark 10, 6. He said, from the beginning of creation, 
God made them male and female. So how, how did we get here? Jesus says, God made us. That's how we got here. Now, of course, from the beginning of creation, he's going all the way back, and he's talking about the first two people. He's talking about Adam and Eve, and we know the story that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living being, and then we know that uh, just shortly after that, God created the woman from the man, and so God directly created the first two human beings, and then built into us, built into them, and subsequently to us, the ability to reproduce. And of course, he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the answer of Jesus to the question, how did I get here? The answer of Jesus is, in the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. You know, there are many, many people out there that have no idea that Jesus even addressed this issue. They don't have any idea that Jesus actually said. Uh, Jesus was a creationist. Jesus actually said from the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. So, of course, there are many conflicting voices in the culture that would argue against this. There are those that would say, well, we know that that can't be true because there, there isn't even a God. Science has disproven God, and God didn't make us. We evolved. We know for a scientific fact that evolution is true, and naturalism is true. You know, people will say that today. People will argue that today. But, you know, honestly, when they do that, they are not being honest. In, in some cases, they've not, not even really seriously considered it. In other cases, if they have considered it, they're not being honest. I love when it comes to things like this, I think to go to the sources themselves and listen to what they're saying about these kinds of things is the best way to go. So I want to quote to you from George Wald. George Wald was a, a Nobel Laureate, he was a Harvard University biochemist. And I want you to listen to what he says. And what I want you to listen to is his honesty. Because this is the problem. There's just a ton of dishonesty out there. Here's a guy who believes that we came about through natural processes. Doesn't believe in God, believes in the evolutionary process. But at least he's honest about it. And listen to what he says. He says, one only has to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that the spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. So that, you know, life just came about through natural processes. He says, that's impossible. Yet, we are here as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. When it comes to the origin of life, there are only two possibilities. Creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. That's very honest right there. There's no third way. It's either God created or it all came about through natural processes. It's either God or what we would commonly refer to as evolution. And now let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource, so, Brian, your friend has written another great book, and he's your friend, and he's also kind of your little bit of a fan. Let's just be honest. I am a big fan of 
Ray Ortland, and he has written this fantastic little book on the gospel. But really, the gist of it is creating gospel culture within your church. So, gospel culture is really, it's a culture of love, it's a culture of grace, it's a culture where anybody can come in and know that they're going to be given an opportunity to hear the good news of of God's love, and people are going to be patient and not judgmental and give God time to work. So that's pretty much what he lays out in this great little book. people are going to be like Jesus. People are going to be like Jesus. As they study Jesus. Yeah. So I highly recommend this little book by my friend Ray Ortland called The Gospel. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Gospel by Ray Ortland. You can order the book The Gospel by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Gospel by Ray Ortland to help you develop a biblical perspective of gospel culture. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.